Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecallendershow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. And a reminder, if you get your podcast, any podcast, uh, on the Google podcast platform, Google is folding into YouTube over the next, uh, I guess, six months or so. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to resubscribe or, or migrate to a different platform. So just a heads up on that. Um, so the North State Journal is reporting right now photos and videos received by North State Journal show dozens of what appear to be non-U.S. citizens flying on, or filing onto a late evening American Airlines flight from Phoenix to Charlotte. And uh, Charlotte officials are quoted as saying, the city is aware of this, but we cannot confirm the number of flights. We do not track this data. Uh, by the way, again, another example of the the lawlessness that we accept from our government officials because we think somehow or another they're on the same team as us because they wear the same political jersey, I guess. Um, there are homeless people that are now in the baggage claim area at Charlotte Douglas International Airport. I've received... Visual evidence and information that indicates that this is a growing problem. Homeless folks hanging out in the baggage claim area. Is the city aware of that problem? Are they using the the baggage claim area of the airport as a, a pressure release valve, so to speak, to get homeless people away from different areas of town? Right? They've got they got they run bus service out to the airport, so are they sending people to the airport or are they just making their way there? And then they take one of those, you know, luggage carts, you know, and you put your luggage on, you could push it around. And they've got, so they got that and they pile their stuff on there and then they, they sleep in the chairs. Um, we interviewed Tark Bakari, Charlotte City Councilman, about his idea for this task force and he laid out some of the, uh, the vision that he has for it. He's a Republican, and on the 11-member uh, body, he, Republicans, there are only two of them. So not sure he's going to get enough support to push it forward, but there may be some positive signs uh, uh, over the last 48 hours since he went on to Twitter to promote this idea. So we talked with him in the last hour, and um, it prompted this response from Gary, who says, what it sounds like Tark was saying is local Charlotte Democrats can't deal with the hard facts and truths, but favor colorful platitudes that their base loves, rather uh, whether it produces better outcomes or not. Right. So the first question I asked Councilman Bakari was, uh, uh, how do you get at the, in, the incentives that Democrats have to continue doing these things that they're doing? Because their incentives as a political party and as elected officials – their incentives right now, and this could change, but right now their incentives are aligned with the current course. That's why we're on the current course, right? 
We would not be on this course if incentives were directing them someplace else. But they're in charge. They have majority control over county commission, school board, city council, DA's office, sheriff's office, all of the local legislative seats at a state level, even though they're in the minority, super minority, uh, up in Raleigh. All the judges, right, the DA, everybody, they're all Democrats. So their entire, uh, their control over Mecklenburg County, Charlotte Mecklenburg, their control is total. And so we are seeing these things because their incentives obviously have put them on this course. How do you get at those incentives? How do you get, how do you get those incentives to change? Now, Councilman Bakari didn't say that, uh, say this, but I will, which is you got to make it painful for them. You have to make the current course painful in order to change their incentives. And the only pain, quote unquote, they're going to feel is diminished electoral prospects, right? That's the only course correction that they would endeavor to make because it would jeopardize their control. So if they want to stay in control, you've got to, dare I use a Chris Rufo term, smuggle into the left-wing media, right, or smuggle into the left. you got to take these ideas and you got to get the left to understand that this is the course correction needed. And maybe that's what the task force can do, right? Smuggle these concepts in. Like what uh, Seattle did, I went over this yesterday, where Seattle was like, we're going to bulldoze that that garden that was set up in the Chop Chaz, Chaz Chop, whatever, uh, the autonomous zone. They built their little garden that didn't really feed anybody and just became a magnet for lawlessness and vagrancy. Oh, I'm sorry, and vandalism, too. And and so when they when they came in with the bulldozers and the leftists were like, don't tear down our Black Lives Matter garden, the city put out a, a, a press release with three pages of statements from black leaders and black farmers who were like, what you did was a mockery. You've, you got white people co-opting our black lives matter garden, right? They, they, they went and made these arguments to the leftists, to the activists that had taken over the park. So how do you make these arguments now inside the left wing? That's the question. That's that that has to happen because they're not going to change course unless the incentive structure is changed. Let me go over to Ralph and uh, get his thoughts. Hello, Ralph. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Pete. Well, uh, I was I was telling uh, Bernie and everything. I've, I've been going down to the Mecklenburg County Courthouse for 26 years now. And what you you know, basically, you're going to have to get a new D.A. and a new new judges to get the public to go along with either convincing them that they need to change their process of just this letting all these youth go without any uh, consequences. And in conjunction with uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools and then the, the parents, you've got to reach out either to the communities, the churches out in these communities, and and hopefully get them on board. But then you might have to arrest some of their parents because there is all a criminal enterprise. So this is what I was asking uh, Tark Bakari about. 
right? Like it, it, you're, it sounded like just more government, and you're, and again, the incentives. You said like, oh, we're going to get, we need to get new judges, right? But that's not that that doesn't happen because Republicans or conservatives or or unaffiliated voters turn out and vote for a Republican judge. There just aren't enough of those voters. You need to get people on the left and in the Democrat Party to vote for non-leftist or vote for even a Republican judge. And yet you have many, and because of the progressive takeover of the Democrat Party, this leftist philosophy of institutionalized problems, right, systemic problems. And so the problem isn't the family breakdown. The problem isn't your behavior. The problem isn't your family's behavior. The problem is institutional, right? It's systemic. That's what they want to hear. That's what Bakari was saying, is that that's the argument that they know their base wants to hear. So how do you how do you how do you change that in order to change the incentives for those elected officials to now start being, quote, tough on crime? Well, I I would say go out into the uh, uh, get a coalition of pastors, which I know they've probably done this in the past. They have. Yeah. Okay, we need to have a fresh start. For the last 34, like Peter Gilchrist, I heard he's living up in Maine building boats now. <laughs> I talked to Merriweather at the courthouse and asked him about Peter. But anyway, ask them if they would like a, a change of course in the way that their children are growing up in these communities to where they, they would have a choice for a better life. Well, if you've told those kids that there's no, and those parents for multiple generations now, that they cannot have a better life because of institutional racism or systemic white supremacy or whatever, then they don't believe that there is any hope. You've robbed them of that, of that hope. Well, That's, I mean, the, the, the Democratic Party, the liberal leftists have brainwashed them. So whatever, whatever you have to do to de- Program their brains and and get them cleaned out from all this and just I guess basically show them facts just like uh, Vince had a promo about you know uh, back when he was young they said that uh, the cold weather was going to kill us and that mm-hmm. you know overpopulation you, we're going to have to debunk their theories. Well, yeah, the only thing that debunks it has been said in the promo is time. I appreciate the call, Ralph. Thank you very much. Forgot to mention this. Got a, a text from Councilman Tark Bakari. Uh, in the chat we had last hour with Bakari uh, on the task force looking at crime, uh, I, I forgot, I failed to mention and ask him uh, about uh, gangs. And this is a very real issue uh, that's driving a lot of this crime. Uh, because when, And I would argue that this is the natural outgrowth of a lawless society, one that uh, allows criminals to skate all the time, you then have, you, again, it's all about incentives. It's always about incentives. And if the incentive is there to break the law because the downside is less than the upside, the rational behavior is to do the bad stuff because the, the penalties are so low. Granted, you're always going to have a certain level of psychopathy out there, right? People that are antisocial, they're, they're going to behave badly, crim, they're, they're going to be criminals no matter what. There's always that population. The problem is when you allow a society, when you have a society that, that uses or that allows that kind of psychopathy to grow 
and to then infect other people. Because the more people that are psychopathic like that, that destroys the civilization. So uh, it's all about incentives. Let me, oh, let me go over here to uh, Mike first. Hey, Mike, welcome to the program. How are you? All right. How are you doing? I'm good, man. What's up? Well, I just uh, wanted to tell you about, I'm a landlord, and this has happened probably four or five months ago, and I had my employees over at this house put in a new roof on the house, and the uh, one of my employees called me and said that the 13-year-old that was in the house was breaking the windows out of the house, and uh, of course, I went over there to the house. And the mama was there, and I didn't understand why she was allowing him to break the windows out of the house. And I asked him, I said, why are you doing that? He says, well, I can do it, and they ain't going to do nothing with me. Mm-hmm. And I asked the mama, I said, why are you stopping him? And she said, well, he says, if I try to stop him, the police will put me in jail for trying to stop him. So I went to court five times trying to get this little 13-year-old juvenile prosecuted and after five times they didn't show up so i just quit going i just wasted my time so uh i don't understand why they didn't go ahead and get them into court so we could prosecute him or whatever they could do with him so he knew that they just wasn't going to do nothing if he just kept putting it off putting it off putting it off right so i just don't understand why the government don't get in and just try to take care of some of this crap. Right. It just really pisses me off. Right, yeah, and, and the kid was exactly right. And at 13, he knows the system. Do you think that that kid now is incentivized to start following the rules, start following the law later on as he grows older? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, right, exactly. Absolutely not. Yeah, he can do what he wants and he can get away with it. And uh, that's and, and you, I noticed you did not mention a, a male figure, uh, father figure or anything in that scenario. No, no. That I think the father he he was there too. Oh, he was. I actually, think he was scared. Oh, yeah, he was there. And I think what the the father did, he was scared of his wife. Because <laughs> he didn't say anything, but the mama sure said something. She said, "I'm not going to do anything with him because if I tried to discipline him and spank him or something, they'll put me in jail." So. I wow. just think that it sucks, and yeah. there's just not much I can do. I, just, I, I did evict them and get them out of the house, but I had to go in and spend about $1,000 on fixing the windows. Right, I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike, I appreciate the call. Thanks for the story. Yes, sir, yeah. thank you. All right, Bye-bye. take care. Yeah, that's okay. And now what happens, right? Now, what has that now started a cycle of, if not perpetuated one, where now that family is going to try to get into other houses, other apartments, they're going to try to rent other places that... Blackmark is going to follow them around on their record if there is such a record, right? I'm sure there's rental history that gets attached to these people. Um, and and what? Like, you're, you're going to have just escalation of offenses because there's never any corrective action taken. I'm not saying abuse of the people or the kid or whatever. I'm saying corrective action, right? That, that's why you, you train up the child, right? That's why you're supposed to be educating Kids, you're supposed to teach them. We don't do this in a civil society. You don't do this to your fellow human beings. You teach them the golden rule. That's why you do this stuff. Is because they are not civilized. They're children. <laughs> right. I thought there was some... I forgot to mention this also in talking to Councilman Bakari. Uh, he says he's gotten a lot of uh, resident feedback 
and great discussion with the district attorney and uh, I guess members of the General Assembly. Uh, He says, I spent two hours today working with the mayor, the manager and council members Graham and Watlington brainstorming on uh, potential uh, solutions to combat crime how to bring together the entire council and community leaders for real action on the task force concept and public safety. Much work to do, but very promising start. We'll keep you posted. Um, And he says, thank you for all of the ideas uh, and thoughts, and please keep them coming. This is about his idea for a task force, which he says he hates the name task force, but this is what he has to call it, because I don't know if there's another word for it. Um, First, get some answers to basic questions. What percentage of crime is committed by repeat offenders? What laws are not being enforced? What laws do we need that we don't have? What offenses, ranging from property to violent, show a pattern of progression towards more violent crimes when not caught over time? And then with that data, create the following. Youth and adult-focused repeat criminal offenders list that continue to get back on the street and account for the majority of property and violent crimes. So this goes back to the very same argument that uh, was made when Peter Gilchrist was the district attorney um, 25 years ago, and it was a revolving door over uh, over at the jail. And you had this very small percentage of the population committing the vast majority of the crimes. And, and yeah, target them. Start there. This is the same argument with um, that, that you get into with you know gun grabbers, where they want more laws. I want more gun control laws, right? But you've got DAs across the country that aren't prosecuting the gun laws on the books. So why is the answer always more laws when you don't want people to face ramifications for the laws they've broken? Like if I didn't know any better, I might suspect. I might suspect that you're doing it on purpose, that you're giving these mixed messages for some other reason. But no, I'm sure that's not happening for a reason. He says, then this, we uh, could create the ordinances and laws with the help of Raleigh that we have, identi- we have identified as missing to get these offenders to change behavior. Uh, for example, holding parents accountable for youth, getting proper rehab services where needed, conflict resolution training. Uh, bottom line, though, you're not going to be put back out onto the streets. In the interim of that long-term solution, we should establish a cross-departmental task force. Shepherd these identified repeat criminals with laser focus on the outcomes through the system. Shepherd them through the system that keeps sending them back on the streets, fixing the macro issues along with uh, along the one-on-one step at a time. Uh, right. So then you would you know bring in the DA, city attorney, the sheriff, CMPD, whatever. And this is why, to me, like, this is why it's so important to get everybody's cards on the table up front about what your incentives are. And if you are in an elected official position, your incentives are to get reelected, generally speaking. Right? The judges on the bench want to return to the bench. And if they... Look, I'm aware of judges that were not put on certain details, let's say. They were not assigned to criminal court. Because the judge who makes those appointments did not want to have a tough-on-crime judge on the bench. This is a conscious decision that's being made. Meanwhile, I saw this the other day. 
um, the release of the DNA evidence from the, uh, I mean, CMPD is now calling it a cold case murder investigation. I mean, I don't know if it's a cold, I guess it is a cold case. Not that it, they, they leave it up as a cold case because the DA or the, uh, I guess the cops and the, and the district attorney's office, the state, they've always maintained that they, they, they charge the right guy, even though, even though they ended up dropping the charges at one point and not refiling them. They've never charged anybody else in the case. And, of course, I'm talking about the 30-year-old, 40-year-old maybe, what is it now, 99, 30, 32-year-old uh, crime, the murder of Kim Thomas. In the Cotswold neighborhood, July 27, 1990, Kim Thomas is murdered in her home, her, her infant child in the crib, Right next to the uh, right next to his dead mother, unharmed, the baby is unharmed, and uh, her husband Ed Friedland, a kidney specialist, um, he ends up being accused of her murder. She was an activist. She was a liberal activist. She started um, or was a leader in the the Charlotte chapter of the National Organization of Women. She wrote a book, A Charlotte Child, A Guide for the Pregnant Woman. She and her husband bought a home full of windows and light on a deep wooded lot just off Wendover Road. Those who knew her talked about her excitement over their newly adopted son. She'd always wanted a baby, and they were the first in North Carolina to have an independent adoption without using an agency. This comes from a book by Kathy Pickens called Charlotte True Crime Stories. Um... The two, the couple had gone back and forth for years about whether or not to get married. Ed said, uh, "Ed was." She wrote that Ed wasn't sure about having a baby, and according to the Charlotte Observer reporter Elizabeth Leland, this was Charlotte's fifty-fourth homicide in nineteen ninety. By the end of the year, the total would be one of the high water marks for the Charlotte uh, for Charlotte homicides at ninety-seven. At the time, so that's what I mean, we, we we have to always relearn these patterns. It seems like relearn these lessons. At the time of Kim Thomas's murder, the police department only had eight homicide investigators. By 97, when the murder rate was 63 and all the cases that year were cleared, they had 22. So they had tripled the number of law enforcement officers, in this case, particularly the detectives. July of 94, Dr. Friedland formally charged. 1995, in a pretrial hearing, Dr. Michael Baden, the former New York City medical examiner and one of the star power names in the forensic pathology world, still is today, he was in court testifying about the time of Kim's death. This was a key element of the case because Friedland said that he had left for work at about 7.45 or 8 o'clock. Co-workers corroborated when he arrived at the office. So if she died before 7.30, that would have put him there when she died. The medical examiner, Dr. Michael Sullivan, had performed an autopsy and testified that she likely died in the early morning. Bodden's testimony for the prosecution was that it was much more likely that she died before 7.30. David Rudolph, who was the defense attorney, called the test of the potassium levels in her retina used by Bodden, he called it voodoo evidence. The judge then ruled that the standard for medical testimony in North Carolina is to a reasonable degree of certainty. Dr. Bodden was not able to say he was reasonably certain, just that it was more likely. So the judge ruled that does not meet the burden of proof. And so without that key forensic testimony, nailing down the time of death, the DA's office dropped the charges. 
and never charged him again. Friedland and his attorney, Rudolph, always argued that there was somebody else that police should have been investigating, that the evidence all pointed to, but CMPD didn't do it. That was Marion Gales. All right, do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out so newly released dna results provide potentially incriminating evidence in a decades-old mystery surrounding one of charlotte's most infamous unsolved murders dna consistent with a 61 year old career criminal named marion gales was found at the 1990 crime scene where kim thomas was killed ames alexander writing at the charlotte observer defense attorney david rudolph contends that the new information released late on Sunday exonerates his client, Dr. Ed Friedland. Friedland was Kim Thomas's husband. He was charged with his wife's death four years after she was found handcuffed and slashed to death inside her Charlotte home. The charge against Friedland was later dropped, as I mentioned, and never refiled. But Friedland has been living under this cloud, as Rudolph calls it, for 34 years. Marion Gales had done odd jobs for Kim Thomas in the weeks before her death. He has long been linked to her murder, but he was never charged. He was later imprisoned for killing another woman. The new DNA results Rudolph maintains confirms that Gales was the one who murdered Kim Thomas too. Rudolph said uh, in a press release that the public deserves to know why Marion Gales was permitted by the CMPD to avoid responsibility for the crime, which allowed him to commit additional crimes. The Observer previously reported, uh, Rudolph said that an unnamed CMPD detective told him in 2022 that investigators had obtained DNA that matched Gales at the murder scene. And I I read through the the DNA reports. Rudolph is not lying. The DNA was found there, and the chances of it being somebody other than, you know, Marion Gales is like, you know, minuscule. Um, what else here? Rudolph contends police ignored or concealed evidence that pointed to Gales, that he had a history of attacks on women, that he lived a five-minute walk away from Kim Thomas's home and had done odd jobs for her before her death, that he had burglarized homes in the area to steal jewelry that he sold to buy cocaine. Oh, he also owned a pair of handcuffs that were identical to the ones found on Kim Thomas. And, oh yeah, he was seen on the street where Kim Thomas lived on the morning of her death. In 1997, a Mecklenburg County jury in a civil trial that was brought by Friedland against Marion Gales The jury ruled in favor of Friedland. They awarded him $8.6 million in his wrongful death lawsuit against Marion Gales. Friedland now lives in Florida. Uh, Gales 
is in prison for that murder of the other woman. But he's expected to be out in March of next year. So in 14 months, 15 months. What else? From the book, uh, Gail's brother-in-law called police the day after the murder, saying that Marion Gales wasn't acting right. Also, fellow inmates over the years pointed out that uh, Gales had admitted to the murder. In March of 1997, before the civil case went to trial, another skirmish erupted in the headlines when Friedland agreed to an interview on WBT. Jerry Klein, also a creative loafing writer also, and, a, and a host here, he wrote that he'd been talking about the case on the show one night a, a year earlier and the next evening during a grocery store run on the way home. Friedland approached Klein. A year later, Friedland was scheduled to talk to Klein on his radio show about the pending civil trial, but the police department sought sanctions against Friedland and his lawyer for violating a protective order issued years earlier in the initial criminal case. But talk he did. He appeared on the show Monday, March 10th, 1997. And Klein, who had said that he thought Friedland had done it, by the end of the interview, he said, I think he's innocent. So now we have the DNA. Will they charge Marion Gales? Well, that's a question for the district attorney now, isn't it? I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Thank you.